As Adrian said, the passage this morning comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 88. O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me? and hide your face from me. From my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Good morning. I know many new believers have the experience that I had, which is when you come to Christ, you think, I'm a Christian now. God's on my side, so life should go well. And most of us end up very surprised when suffering hits us as new believers. But as we mature, we get to know the scriptures more over time. We begin to understand that suffering really is part of the Christian life. It's clearly stated in the scriptures, and it's clear from our own experience. We can't avoid suffering. In fact, suffering, we discover, is God's school for growing us up into Christ-likeness. It's God's tool for plowing our hard hearts so that the seed of his truth and his grace might be planted deeply within us. So James, for example, says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect results. So we can consider it joy when we encounter trials. Romans, Paul says, Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, he says, We exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. So it's possible as Christians to consider it all joy when we suffer, not because we like the suffering, but because we know what God is doing through it. To exult even in our tribulations. But what happens when you can't? What happens when you can't consider it all joy, when you can't seem to exult, when you just can't see what God's doing through it? 
when you feel overwhelmed by the suffering you are experiencing? Is it possible even then to walk by faith when you can't sing a praise song from the heart? Is it possible to really trust God even then? And if so, what does that kind of faith look like? Well, Psalm 88, as you've just heard read, is a lament. And it's the only psalm of all the psalms that is dark all the way through, that doesn't have a resolution of thankfulness or praise at the end. It's one that I'm doubt that you've ever heard preached. <laughs> As one commentator said, it's the most gloomy of all the psalms. Charles Spurgeon said, if there ever was a song of sorrow and a psalm of sadness, this is one. And yet to me, this psalm is a song of triumphant faith. A faith that's able to withstand the most difficult times of suffering. Able to cling to God at those times of complete and utter darkness. So let's begin with prayer and then we'll look at this psalm together. Lord, we don't like suffering. But it is part of our existence and there are times for all of us, it seems, at least most of us, where the suffering seems so overwhelming that all we can see is darkness. But thank you that you do not ignore such times. In fact, you've given us a psalm, Psalm 88. So we might understand how to have faith even at those darkest of times. Use your word, Lord penetrate our hard hearts, plow our souls, that we might learn to live by faith and by grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the introduction, it says this is a masculine of Heman the Ezraite. We don't know a lot about Heman, but we know something. We know he was another one of the chosen worship leaders, like Asaph, we looked at last week. One of the chosen worship leaders of Israel. He was a godly man, a man of faith, as we'll see, but a man who suffered greatly in his life. So let's look first, verses 1 through 8, at his experience of suffering, his experience of darkness. Verse 1 and 2 begins this way, O Lord, Yahweh, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you, May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. He begins in this introduction by saying, I cry out to you, God. He turns to God in prayer. That's a great encouragement, I think. That in those dark times when he can't see the hand of God, yet he turns to him and prays and cries out to him with his heart, with his soul, with his very being. First word of the entire psalm is Yahweh. He uses the personal covenant name of God that Israel was given as their personal name for God. In Exodus chapter 3, when Moses said, hey, you're going to redeem your people, but if I'm going to go to them, I've got to know who you are. And he said, I am Yahweh. I am that I am. 
I am the one who is covenanting myself with you to redeem you, to save you. The Redeemer God. So Heman clearly sees himself as part of the chosen people of God, as part of the family of God, a part of God's people. The people to whom God has committed himself to be Redeemer and Savior. So he knows he's a believer, he's a follower of Yahweh. Yahweh has saved him. But I think perhaps that adds to the struggle. You see, knowing we're part of God's chosen people, we put our faith in Christ, we have trusted him, makes it even more confusion, more confusing and more painful when we suffer because we somehow deep down expect God's blessings. And too often we hear false theologies out there, things like the health and wealth gospel that say, well, if you just have enough faith, then you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy. Funny how every teacher of that ends up dead and penniless. Can't take it with you. That's just a false theology, folks. No, there is suffering in the Christian life, but there is great blessing in the life of Christ walking with us. So we struggle when life doesn't go well because we long for it to go well. Well, let's look at how Heman goes on to expand just to talk about the depth of his struggle and his affliction. Verse 3 through 5, he essentially says, I'm in the pits. (laughs) I've hit rock bottom. Verse 3, it says, For my soul is full of trouble. The word for full there is one that is used often in the Scripture to talk about being satisfied in a good way. Satisfied. Like a good Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, you're filled up and you're just content. But here he says, I'm filled up with trouble. I can't take another bite of this, Lord. (laughs) I can't take another struggle, another difficult thing. I can't handle anymore. Have you had times like that in your life? Where you feel like, God, I just can't handle one more thing going wrong. Now, I knew it was dangerous to teach Psalm 88 because God always applies the Scripture to me. (laughs) This was not an easy week. Just some things that happened on a couple days this week. Uh, It was 95 degrees on Tuesday. Our air conditioner went out, got hot. We had a major repair, very costly with that. Um, The next morning, when their little rainstorm came through, my office was leaking, rain running down the wall. The plumbing was leaking under our kitchen sink. My computer was on the blink. I locked my keys in the car. (laughs) Didn't have a spare set. (laughs) A young woman who was living with us, we were taking care of, had a seizure. We had to deal with the trauma of that. It just kind of went on, and I thought, okay, verse 3, God, I'm feeling kind of filled up here. I'm kind of at the end of my rope. But those are minor things compared to 
many of the things you've experienced. Some of you have struggled with long-term health issues, long-term difficulties in a marriage or long-term struggles with a child, taking care of an aging parent. I mean, we could go on and on. And your soul is full. God, I can't take anything more. That's what Heman says. And then he goes on to say, verse 4, I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. He, said, I, he says, I'm, a, I'm as good as dead. <laughs> People are ready to order my coffin. They're planning my funeral. I'm counted among the dead. I, they've counted me out. I'm finished. People are gathered around me like a pack of greedy relatives just waiting for me to die so they can get the inheritance. That's how my life feels. Heman doesn't hold back. He's being very honest about the pain he's going through and how he feels such rejection. Verse 5, he says, I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave like this mass grave and I've been tossed into it as though I were already dead. I've been given up on completely. I've thrown into the, been thrown into a pile and left for dead. I couldn't help but think about the old Monty Python movie, tasteless movie, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where there's a scene, and this really happened in medieval times, where They didn't know what to do with the dead, and so they'd bring a cart by through the town, and they'd say, bring out your dead. Bring out your dead. And this man brings out this guy over his shoulder, only the guy's still alive, right? Have you seen the scene? And he's saying, here's one for you. And he says, I'm not dead yet. (laughs) Well, you're nearly dead. He says, I'm feeling much better. That's the way Heman feels. I'm being thrown on the pile. I'm being counted as lost. And I feel like I'm already dead. In the book To End All Wars, true story of Ernest Gordon, who was a British prisoner of the Japanese during World War II, he describes where he was so sick in this death camp, they'd given up on him for dead, and they took him to the death house. I was taken to the death house. However, I was so ill that I didn't much care. I was hardly prepared, though, for what I found there. The death house had been built at one of the lowest points of the camp. The monsoon was on, and as a result, the floor of the hut was a sea of mud. And there were smells, the smells of tropical ulcers eating into flesh and bone. The smell of latrines overflowed. The smell of unwashed men, untended men, sick men of humanity gone sour, of humanity rotting. Worst of all was the sweet, evil smell of bedbugs by the millions crawling over us to steal the little flesh that still clung to our bones. Men lay in rows, head to feet, yet one of the worst features in this jam of humanity was the loneliness. One never really knew one's neighbor. Everyone was crowded together, but there was no conversation, no communion, no fellowship. Heman could identify with that. 
left for dead. This is how life feels to me. Everyone's given up on me. I'm in the pits. But then in verse 6 through 9, it even intensifies because in 6 through 9, he says, and God, you have put me here. I'm in the pits, and God, you have put me here. Verse 6, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. That word for depths is one that's used a number of times in the Scripture to talk about when Israel was crossing the Red Sea and the waters parted and they crossed, and then when the Egyptian army followed and chased them, the waters came over them and they were drowned in the depths. But here Heman is saying, I'm one of your chosen people and yet I feel like I'm drowning in the depths. You're treating me like one of your enemies. You've put me here. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavily upon me. Your waves have overwhelmed me. Maybe you've been at the beach and trying to stand in the water and a wave comes and knocks you down and you're trying to get up and another one hits you and before you can get your balance, another one hits you and they just keep coming and your waves overwhelm me, Heman says. I can't ever seem to get my balance. I can't recover. And then he says, not only that, but in verse 8, you've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. Have you noticed that when you're suffering, when the suffering hits you, your friends gather around you and they're very supportive and kind and they're there for you? It's a wonderful thing. But as the suffering drags on, as it gets longer and longer, suddenly your friends don't know quite how to treat you anymore. And you find over time that they start pulling away because maybe out of their own fear that somehow they'll catch something from you or fear of their own suffering. Maybe because of their sense of inadequacy. I don't know what to do for this person anymore. I've tried everything. Nothing works. Or maybe impatience or whatever, but they start pulling away. And then have you noticed how, easily it is, how easy it is over time when someone's suffering long-term to begin to get critical of them and judgmental somehow? Gee, they must not be learning their lesson. Gee, they must not be handling this very well. And we begin to point fingers at people because it's easier than having to stay with them. And Heman says, that's exactly what I'm experiencing. I've become repulsive to all my friends. Just like Job's friends who pointed the finger at him, Job, you must have sinned for God to do this to you. So beginning of verse 9, he says, my eyes are dim with grief. Essentially, he says, I've cried my eyes out. That's how bad it is. Now as he continues this psalm, he raises a couple of haunting questions. Questions that we often try to avoid, but in suffering they get stirred up in our hearts. The first question in verse 9 through 12 that he addresses is, God, what good is this suffering? What good is it? 
Notice how he says, verse 9, I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? What's he saying here? He's saying, God, if you allow this suffering to go on, if you leave me in this darkness, How does that bring glory to you? What good is that? What does that really accomplish, God? I'm in such pits and so lonely. I I can't do any ministry for you. I can't serve you. What is the point? What good is it to let me suffer? I think Heman is in a place that many of us get to where he's not afraid to die, I don't believe. I I think he's willing to die. I think he's afraid to live because living's too painful. He's not afraid to die. He's afraid to live, to continue suffering. Have you ever felt like Heman here? God, I could do so much more for you if I didn't have to deal with this stuff in my life. If I didn't have this health issue, if I didn't struggle with migraines, if I didn't struggle with fatigue, if I didn't have this tough marriage, if I didn't have an aging parent to deal with over the years and fill in the blank, we we begin to feel like, God, what good is this? What is the point of what you're putting me through. Heman is honest about his questions. He says, I don't get it. Second question he addresses from verse 13 to the rest of the psalm, stated clearly in verse 14, Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? The second question that rips at our soul when we're suffering is, why? Why? If, if I just knew why I'm going through this, then maybe, maybe I could hang on longer. Why are you rejecting me? In verse 15 he says, essentially, as he says, for my youth I've been afflicted and close to death. He's essentially saying, I've had it tough for as long as I can remember. Life's been hard. God, I don't get it. Why? Struggled with depression all my life, for example, or some other issue. Why? And in verse 16 and 17, he says, Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. There's a word in verse 16, Your wrath has swept over me, is the translation. But it's actually the word that's used for the Passover. Your wrath has passed over me. Remember the Passover where they were going to come out of Egypt, the people of Israel, and God said, put the blood on the doorposts, and then the angel of death will come and kill the firstborn all throughout Egypt, but it will pass over the people of Israel who are covered by the blood. But what Heman is saying is he's saying, your wrath 
Yeah, it sort of passed over, but it stopped on me. In fact, it landed right on me. And then he says, your waters have engulfed me. They've overwhelmed me. Again, this is a picture, I believe, of the people of Israel being chosen and they go through the Red Sea, the waters part, and they're saved. But Heman is saying, I'm one of your people and I'm getting buried by the waters. I don't get it, God. You don't let me walk through unscathed. I'm drowning here. And he ends the psalm this way. You've taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. All my friends have been taken away. Anyone who's ever cared about me is gone. And in the Hebrew, the very last word of the psalm is darkness. Would be better translated, my closest friend is darkness. I am alone in this, all alone. Charles Spurgeon summarized it this way, I am a child crying alone in the dark. With the last word being darkness. Well, I hope you're encouraged. Let's close in prayer. And no, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. The last word of the psalm is darkness. But is that the last word? Is that the last word for Heman and is it the last word for us? In those times when we feel surrounded by darkness and our deepest questions are going unanswered, how is this a triumphant psalm of faith? Well, what I picture here, we used to live in Lake Tahoe and these storms would come across through the mountains and there'd be blizzard conditions and it would be wiping everything out. I'm blowing hard and the boats are out and the ones by the dock trying to cling to the dock would get banged against the dock and get damaged and banged into each other. But the boats that were out in the middle of the water that had an anchor going down you couldn't see the anchor, it was deep down. Those boats would get tossed back and forth, but they would survive the storms. I see four, four anchors that Heman refers to in this psalm that hold him in the storm, that can be the exact same anchors that you and I can hold on to when circumstantially everything seems like darkness around us. What are those anchors? First one I see again in the first word of the psalm, what he hangs on to first, the word Yahweh, the covenant name of God. Heman hangs on to the truth that he has been chosen by God, that God has covenanted with him, that he is one of the chosen people of Israel, one of God's people. And if you put your faith in Christ, you can hang on to that as an anchor as well. No matter how dark circumstances may get, if you put your faith in Christ, you can hang on to the truth that you are one of God's chosen people no matter how bad circumstances look. You have been chosen. And that anchors us in His faith. We are in His hands. 
And in fact, the truth is, folks, theologically, suffering, listen carefully to this, suffering is not a sign that you're not a believer, that you're not his. Suffering is not a sign that you're not his. In fact, the opposite is true according to Scripture. Suffering may be a sign that you are his child. Remember the passage in Hebrews chapter 12 where the author of Hebrews states this very clearly. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and following, he says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son didn't discipline is not disciplined by his father. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and are not true sons. The fact you're suffering and struggling is a sign that God is your father and loves you. You are chosen by him. The second anchor that we see in Heman is the next couple words, O Lord, the God who saves me. Not only am I chosen, but I'm saved. God's dealt with my sin. God's made clear my eternal destiny. I am His. I've been saved. So this suffering, I don't understand it. It's hard. It's struggling. But Heman clearly is anchored in the fact that I've been saved by God, my Savior. I've been chosen. I've been saved. So my salvation is secure despite the circumstances. Third anchor to his soul that Heman has is that God is compassionate. How do we see that in this psalm? Several times we see him saying, I cry out before you day and night. My prayer comes before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Verse 9, I call to you, O Lord. Every day I spread out my hands to you. Verse 13, I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. You don't cry out to somebody for help that you don't trust. In fact, there's a beautiful picture in verse 9. I spread out my hands to you. I spread out my hands to you. I cry out to you. Help me. Just this week, I was with my granddaughter. We had to go upstairs to do something, to get something. I said, come on, let's go upstairs. And I start walking away and I look back. She's not following me. And I look back, she's just standing there. (laughs) Okay. So I walk back, pick her up. We go up together. She wanted to be carried. And Heman is saying, I lift my hands to you. I I want to be carried. I trust you as a compassionate God. I, I don't understand what I'm going through, but I trust you. Trust you. I cry out to you, carry me. Carry me. Then, fourth, as an anchor of the soul, it's very interesting in verses 10 through 12, where he says, Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders, your righteous deeds? He says, 
hey, if you wipe me out, how am I going to praise you for all your wonderful character qualities, your love and faithfulness? Heman does not doubt God is loving and faithful. He clings to that fact, even though his circumstances are a mess. What's his anchor? God's character, God's love, God's faithfulness, God's righteousness. He hasn't let go of that, even in the midst of all that he's going through. That is an incredible picture of faith. Heman is confident that God is who he says he is. And he doesn't let his experience override what he knows about God. In fact, he lets what he knows about God override his experience. That's why it's so confusing and hard for him. God, I know you're loving, but I don't feel that right now. So he clings to God's love, even though he doesn't understand what's going on. He never denies God or his character. What a beautiful picture of faith. Heman shows us that even in the darkest of times, the darkest of circumstances, it's possible to demonstrate triumphant faith. The very first couple words of the superscription at the beginning of the psalm, it says, this is a song. This was sung in ancient Israel, folks. It was part of their hymnal, their worship book, that they sang regularly. I doubt that it was requested by the congregation all that often, but it was a song of worship. Worship is not always praise and thanksgiving. Worship is being honest in our struggle to cling to God, but in the midst of that, in the midst of our suffering and the honesty about it, we encourage one another in our worship to continue clinging to God. We have a philosophy of worship that's on the back wall, or was, will be, I think, when it's put back. (laughs) Our summary statement is this. Worship is all that we are, mind, heart, soul, and body, humbly responding to all that God is as he reveals himself, initiated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Does that include praise? Yeah. Does that include thanksgiving? Yeah. Does that include lament? Yeah, it's all that we are. This is where I am, God. Responding to all that God is. That's worship. In church history, as Adrienne mentioned, this psalm was recited on Good Friday because the saints throughout history have identified this psalm with our own suffering, but they've also identified it with Jesus' suffering on the cross for us. He entered the full darkness deeper than we ever will out of love for us. So where is Jesus when you're in those dark times and you can't see him? You can't see his hand? Well, that song that Adrienne just sang for us says this, You were there in all of my suffering. You were there in doubt and fear. I'm waiting for the dawn to reappear. Where were you when all that I've hoped for? Where were you when all that I've dreamed came crashing down in shambles around me? You were on the cross. No matter how dark and deep 
your despair may be, the darkness may seem, you can still live, live by faith in a God of love and faithfulness. Because we, unlike Heman, can look back on the cross. For Jesus entered the fullness of our suffering. He understands. Because he joined you there. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing psalm of faith. We'd rather not suffer, Lord. And we look forward with great hope to when you will return and take away all suffering forever. But in the meantime, may we take encouragement from the psalm, from the life of Heman. May we be people who cling to you as a covenant God, as a saving God, as a compassionate God, as a loving and faithful God, even in those times when we are in deep darkness and we feel abandoned. Thank you that you meet us there. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.